Well, if you have your Bibles, please open with me to 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter, again, 4, trying to get everything up here, disorganized this morning. We're going to begin with the first five verses. That's 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, and we'll have two more weeks after this when we finish the book. Um, we'll probably do a topical one week, then we have the conference, we have a guest, one of the, the speakers will be here, he'll be speaking, and then as soon as that's over, we'll begin the book of Titus. So let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Why we were in our very, very worst. Thank you for revealing yourself to us that we can know you in a, a personal and an intimate way. To recognize that you're with us, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Thank you, Lord, even for the trials and the storms. Because we know that you use those in our lives and the lives of others, that many have come to that saving knowledge through those circumstances. We know that our faith is greater, but we know more than anything else that you are so faithful to us. So today, speak to your people. Speak through me. Remove the words from my mouth and my mind that are not from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The reason why I say, you know, if there's something in my mind or in my mouth that really he doesn't want me to say, I I, I thought about that one time because one of my friends, he was saying, you know, Ron, it's so hard. He says, every time I teach, you know, I I hear about 90% of the Lord, and then there's about 10% of me. It's not me you need to hear. It's, It's what you need to hear is the Word of God, what God is speaking through His Word, the words that He guides us and directs us. Now, if you remember when we started the the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is speaking of those end times. It's the end of Paul's life we're going to see in the next couple weeks. It's been titled even his swan letter in a sense that he's the last words, perhaps. We've seen that the church is in a, in a time of apostasy. Apostasy means a falling away from the truth. We've seen that even in the world today, that many churches are drifting from just simply trusting in God's Word. There's more of the world in the church today than there is God. I think about the book of Revelation, if you remember with me, the seven churches written, the last one, the church of Laodicea. It was a church that was unsaved. And he's standing at the door and knocking. And he says, whoever hears my voice opens the door, I'll come in and sup with him. He desires that fellowship. He desires that relationship. Not only is he knocking on church doors, these churches that are drifting, some of them, he's still knocking on the doors of the hearts of many people in this community. And we need to to remember that we have been given, and we'll talk about that a little bit today, the Great Commission to go out and tell people, to warn them about the wrath that's to come. Well, as we go through our text, I'm not going to read the text as I normally do, but we'll look at it and read it as we go through. Look at verse 1. We see a reminder, really, of concerning the worker. We've been looking again that this message is really geared toward soldiers. So it's a soldier's charge. That's what Paul's giving us, the, the charge to Timothy. It's a charge that he was given. It's a charge for you and me that we're given. We have the living Word of God. And that's what people need to hear. They're born again by the Word of God. The Scripture makes it very clear. And what people need to hear is the Word of God. First, they need to see it in their lives, but then they need to hear it for themselves. 
And that's our responsibility. Well, in verse 1, it says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And, you know, this is important to understand because here we're reminded, and this is important to understand, that Jesus, when he returns, he's returning as the righteous judge. And he always judges righteously. His first coming, he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But when he comes, he will judge the world. Now, we know between, again, what's called that time of Jacob's trouble, he comes back for his church. And there is a judgment for the church, but it's different we're going to talk about because it's at the the Bema seat. It's a time that you and I will be rewarded for what we have done with the name of Jesus Christ, for what he's put on your heart and on your mind. Because if he calls you or he gives you a charge to do something, he will enable you to do it. The question always is this, will I believe him? Will I trust in him and lean not on my own understanding? Every one of us have to come to that point. Will I put all of my weight and trust in him or will I strive on my own? Now, how many of you strive on your own from time to time? Gosh, you're doing better than me. No, every one of us strive on our own at some point. I like in Hebrews, in chapter 4, you could read it later. I'm paraphrasing what the passage is speaking about. He says, strive to enter into his rest. It's work at resting in him. If you are in Christ, you're an overcomer. We're not striving for our salvation, but we're working out our salvation in fear and trembling for it's for it's God who's at work in you and me to accomplish his will, his purpose. So we're not working for salvation, we're just saying, Lord Use me. Have you ever just stopped for a second and just asked or said, you know, as you're talking to the Lord, hey, Lord, would you use me? And then believe he'll use you? Lord, bring someone into my life that I might share with, I might minister to. Sometimes that's as simple as sitting next to a person that's hurting, wrapping an arm around them and say, can I pray for you? Sometimes that's the first step. They just need to know that you care. Because we really have two commandments, don't we? Are, are we in agreement on two commandments? If we just streamline them, love God with all of our... And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. So everything that we do, it should be motivated by love. And he said, goes on to say that all the commandments hinge upon those two things. So you're given a mission, and what is that mission? Anyone know? Well, we're going to do that. And we're going to do that too. But go out in that world and love the lost. Hate their sin, but love them. Go out in a loving way, and God will show you what to say, where to go, and what to do, if you'll listen, if you'll believe him, and go by faith. That's our call. Again, Paul's charging Timothy before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a solemn warning if you stop and think about it. Now, again, there are two judgments so that we're all on the same page and we understand that. There is what's called the white throne judgment in the book of Revelation. You'll find it in chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And that's where every unbeliever from the beginning until the end of this world, will be judged. The judgment is going to be, everyone is going to hell. Everyone's going to be thrown in the pit that was given and and made for Satan himself. But you'll be thrown in the pit, and it'll be based upon how rebellious. 
The knowledge you're given. What have you done with the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because in Romans chapter 1, he says he's made it evident in every heart that he is God and everyone is without excuse. So there's this white throne judgment. This will come again after the tribulation, after that time that's called Jacob's trouble, after the millennial kingdom. But then today we're going to see the, the Bema seat. That's where the believers are. That's where he's going to reward you. Now, I know there's many that teach, you know, you do this so you get rewards. And I shared one time there was a guy who used to come to church. I give to God to remind God I'm his. We don't do anything to remind him. God knows you. You're the apple of his eye. He knows you. That the giving is giving out of our heart, out of love. Because we want to see the kingdom expanded. Well, that, again, that beam of seat, you'll, you'll find. And it's rewards for your faithfulness to God. And really, when we get down to once we've made that decision for Christ, there's one thing that you and I are going to be judged on. Were you faithful with what God has entrusted you with. First, his salvation. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's kids. Maybe it, there's a certain gift that he wants you to use somewhere in the community, maybe here in the church. Are you being faithful? Are you just trusting him? Well, again, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. Uh, come on. Computer's slow today, okay? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Timothy's reminded here in the text that he's going to stand there. Timothy, he's passing the baton on to Timothy. Timothy, I put you here in Ephesus, but it's really God. You've been given this charge, this, this ministry, and it's difficult, and it's hard. But he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's not going to give you more than you can bear. It means there's a responsibility. You need to warn the people of the false teachers, the false prophets. You need to come along those who are hurting. Minister to them. But most of all, you need to bring them the Word of God. Timothy's reminded again that one day he's simply going to stand before Jesus. And every one of us will stand there. You cannot get out of it. Good and bad. Some is going to be what we call wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to fall away. But only those things that you have done for Christ will last. Nothing else goes forward. Now, when Paul said we must appear, he, he meant it, just what he said. Now, let me ask you a question. Are, are, when you speak, do you mean what you say? Think about it. When you speak to the kids, the babies, do you, do you really speak to them? Don't do that. And you let them do it? And you argue with them? If you've done that with your kids, you're probably doing that now, whether it's in your workplace, wherever it is. We need to be firm in a loving way, in a kind way. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 and 14, each man's work will become evident in that day. And he'll show it because it's revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work, which he has built on, remains, he will receive a reward. So both good and bad. Look again at Romans 14, 10 through 12. It says, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard a brother with contempt? For we all will stand at the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of you will give account of himself to God. You know, when we read the Word, sometimes when we read something and it really catches you, you need to sit and you need to pray. 
you need to think about. When you leave this world, just talking in a worldly sense, you leave this world, you close your eyes here and you open your eyes up in the face of Jesus. What will the world say? And that will tell you what Jesus knows. What will they say at your gravesite? You know the thing that I think I would like to have on my gravesite if they really did bury me? Is he loved the Lord and he loved others. Because that covers everything. True biblical Christianity is loving God, loving others, giving yourself to God, and giving yourself to others. It's selfless, not selfish. And that's what we struggle with, even in the body of Christ. But he who began a good work, he will finish that work in you. And all we need to do is say, Lord, change my heart. I can't change my heart. Maybe you're struggling with something individual in your life. The best thing you can say is go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to quit. I just don't know how. Certainly, if you take that step in the right direction, you confess, you repent. He'll give you that ability, but that's the point. We don't get to that point always. We, we talk lightly. But you know, God knows there's some things that are so addictive. He has to do it. And it comes with much prayer from our friends, even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who prays for us. Well, again, there are those today that say, well, God knows my heart. Anyone want to use that excuse? I don't want to use that excuse because the Bible makes it very clear. My heart is what? Deceitfully wicked beyond all things. Who can know it? Paul wouldn't even judge himself in 2 Corinthians. He had to trust God. He had to stay in the Word. He had to stay in prayer. He had to stay focused upon Jesus and doing the work that he was called to do. And when you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will add all things, everything that you need. But it begins with a choice. Maybe you're struggling today. All you need to do right now, even where you're at, is just speak to him in your heart. God, I need you. And there's no better place to be than helpless and dependent upon him. No confidence in the flesh, but say, Lord, here I am. You've got to help me. And he'll give you the strength. He'll give you the wisdom. And he'll take it from there. Well, there's a, a responsibility also in concerning the word. Let me read something here from Psalm 138.2. And I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to you, your name for your righteousness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. Another translation puts, he puts his word above his name. You know, if God puts great emphasis upon the word, shouldn't we put great emphasis upon it? Shouldn't it be a priority in our life to know what is pleasing to God and how we might honor him and glorify him? Because that's really where it starts. As you're in the word, you're washed with the water of the word. It's changing your mind. It begins first with being born again. Second, he has to deprogram you from stinking thinking. And every one of us have that stinking thinking in our minds. But what he does is every time you read the word, every time you're in a teaching, you're listening on the radio, however it would be, your mind is being washed. And then your part is just to follow him and trust in him. 
A lot of people fail to understand that just as the, the preacher's charged with the responsibility, it's just as serious for you. Because Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. Your Bible is a, a living Word of God. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It will cut exactly what needs to be cut out of your life. Well, again, we're going to see seven points here, important truths really, concerning God's Word. Look with me in verse 2. The preaching is commanded. Well, what do you mean? Verse 2, it says, preach the Word. It doesn't say, bring dancing bears. It doesn't say, have a movie night. Not to say that that's wrong, but to Timothy he's speaking, but I believe it's for all of us, preach the word. The, the word preach can simply mean proclaim. Every one of us should be able to share with someone, whether it's a gas station, Walmart, Target, wherever you're at. If you say, use me, give me an opportunity, Lord, he will bring someone or lead you to someone that you can encourage them, edify them. Maybe if they don't know the Lord, even share the gospel message. This week I was in the hotel, the Hilo Hawaiian, and the two guys I was with were sharing with a young lady there. And we're going down, it's only one floor, and, and I thought, wait a second, guys, let me share something. She knows me. And I said, you know, I'm a pastor. For a long time, we were in a, a chapel building of a, a mortuary. I did a lot of funerals for people. I've seen funerals for unbelievers and believers. There is a difference. Those that are unbelievers, they, they do not have a hope. The weeping, the crying, the grieving, it's beyond. They, they never know whether they're going to see him again. But when a believer dies, they know that one day they will see that person face to face. They know that they will hold them in their arms again. Oh, they grieve, but not as the world grieves. And I looked her right in the eye and says, you know, if my wife would die today, it's not a question in my mind. I know that I will see her in heaven. And I know that I'll see my daughter there. And I wouldn't want to go through this life not knowing that. That those that I love, those that God has brought in my life, that they wouldn't be there. But they do. And she looked, and she didn't know what to say. And sometimes there's just a seed sowing. And then someone else brings another seed. Another person waters that. And another time we have a chance to share. We're to preach the Word of God. And there's, notice again it says, preach the Word. It's, it's that strong. See, for, for a pastor, a teacher, there's nothing else I can do but preach the Word. This is a direct command. There's no options. It's not about anything else. Anything else comes after the Word that we might do. Because it's the Word of God that you need to hear. It's the Word of God that a person is born again. It's the Word of God that will change you and transform you if you just put yourself under the Word of God. Paul knew the, the command, the call to preach was the Word of God. In fact, it stands over, above, any other thing that he was required to do. He had more than even prayer. More than just anything else. That came first. Certainly we pray, we prepare, but people need to hear the Word of God. Even if it's only two or three words that you have only a moment to share, you share it with a, a big smile on your face, in love and concern. And we know that God's word does not come back void. We know that God will accomplish exactly what he set out to accomplish when he put you in that situation. Notice with me again, 1 Corinthians 9.16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, 
for I am under compulsion. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, when I go to Israel, or I was in Turkey last week, last year, and I was gone for like almost three weeks. It was so, I, I felt like I needed to go and preach the word right there. Need to go in church, hey, you got to move out, it's my turn. It's something that God instills in us as we grow in Him. It's a mark of maturity when you know that God puts such a great emphasis on and we are to proclaim it. As is mentioned, the Great Commission, we're to go out and make disciples. How does it happen? Preaching the Word of God. And no one here is exempt. Now, I understand it's being spoken to Timothy, but in the fact that we are to go out in that Great Commission, it means all of us are. That's how you make a disciple. But you have to be a disciple first before you can make a disciple. So if you're not a disciple of God, you need to plug in with another brother, another sister. Plug in under the Word. Get into a small group and watch what God does. The word woe is really grief. It's, it's anguish. It's misery. It's, it's, it's a longing that I'm here. What am I here? I'm supposed to be doing that. And it's important to understand it's interesting, though. Again, in Hebrews 10.31, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a, a living God. See, he's talking, first of all, about unbelievers. He's not talking about those who are believers. As it goes on, there's nothing in this passage that we're talking about today is ever intended to disturb or unsettle minds of those who truly belong to Christ. But the reason that's written in Hebrews, I, I believe it's probably written by Paul, my opinion. But it's important that what he's sharing that passage is it's written, it, it's sharp, it's searching, it's challenging. That if we profess Christ's name, being warned, how important it is the terrible consequences. Are you really saved? Because what the church does, it's not this building, please understand that. We do congregate, but we come to hear the Word of God. We come to worship God. And we come to be equipped and built up and sent out into a world that does not know Him. That's the mission. For each and every one of us. Look again with me in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 24. It says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify solemnly of the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom of God, will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. Now what that means is, in a sense, Paul knew this is, this is the last time he's going to see him. He's given him everything that God has given him. For you and me, what it means is we bring the whole counsel of God's word. That's why we go from Genesis to Revelation. We teach the Bible, that you learn how to understand the Bible, rightly divide it, to know that truth that will not only set you free, but those around you set free. Notice again in verse 24, Paul says, I do not consider my life of any account. There's the struggle, though, because we focus so much on ourselves. Is that true? I know it is in my life. When I first got saved, I had a hard time reading the Bible regularly. I, I could listen to it because I never learned to read. It was easier to make excuses. Maybe you make excuses too. Or we're too busy. If God puts a great emphasis on His Word, that means that we need to make it priority in our life because this is how we hear from God. It's interesting. Did you notice that Paul's ambition was to obey God, please Him? 
See, this is the place that he wants you to, to be, that, that life is about being here to honor God, to glorify God, to live for him. This is why Paul could be a martyr. Any of those that were martyrs lay down their life. Their life meant nothing to them because life is like a vapor, James talks about. You're here today and gone tomorrow, but you'll live for eternity either in heaven or hell. And there's a lot out there that do not know him. This is why the person that understands that can easily lay down their life. I was watching some Holocaust DVDs and certainly during that time there were many that lost their lives or mainly Jewish people, but there were a lot of Christians that said this is not right. And they did everything they could to to save the Jewish people and get them out. You and I are to stand for righteousness. In this world, we're to call sin, sin, in a loving way, in a kind way. Our law is a higher law that we follow, and it's motivated by love. The faithful pastor, preacher, will declare the whole word of God. I mentioned last week is something I'm planning on in the spring, is is doing 66 books in 80 weeks. And it's a survey showing key points, key verses, showing where Christ is in that book, what this book is about, because every book has one main theme. So in a year and a half, I can take you through the whole Bible. We're at this time of year, we're just kind of just going through slowly, making application for all. Look again at verse 2. We see another point that's so important. It's continually preaching the word because he says, be ready and season and out of season. I know, written again to Timothy, but this is true of you and me. In season and out of season. In season, this is important to understand, or, or, or be ready in season. Think about that. That's, that's when you're, you're prepared and you know, you know what you're going to do, but there's also a time, it's out of season when it's uncomfortable, when you're not prepared, when you're not expecting it, when you have plans to do something else, and God has a divine appointment, and he rearranges your whole schedule. Anyone ever have a divine appointment? You thought you were going here, and you're going to do this, and God changes it? That's that out-of-season time that you go and share the Word of God. You go and share his love, and you minister to others. So what he's saying, Timothy, you need to be ready no matter what. It's like there's been a couple times that I know that I've been coming to teach. The PowerPoint slides don't work. Nothing is working. Uh, and I just decide, okay, Lord, you're saying something else. Bruce, you've been here when that's happened. I know that. You talked to me about it. We just open the Bible, and I teach through it. You know what I like about those times? Unprepared. Those are the best messages because it's God. It's probably 100% God. And we need more of that. But it doesn't mean we don't prepare, but we're to be ready in season and out of season. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give account for the hope that lies within you. Oh, that's apologetics, and people want to get in everyone's face. But notice the very end of that verse. Yet with gentleness and reverence. There's an attitude when the word's being preached, when you're sharing. They need to know that you really care about them, that you love them. You're not speaking at them, you're speaking to them. And that's so important. And even if they don't agree at that time, you treat them with respect. In the later times, so often God gives you another opportunity to share. There's another thing in verse 2. We find the preacher, he's commanded to reprove, and no one likes that. I, I like what Vance Havner said. Well, preaching, it ought to comfort the afflicted, and it should afflict the comfortable. 
That means if you're comfortable today, this message should make you uncomfortable. It should afflict you, make you want to say, God, change my life. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. But comfort the hurting. Again, speaking in Corinthians, at every message, it'd be an exhortation to do something. Sometimes that exhortation, the context, it's just to comfort someone. And it should be edifying. And it should be encouraging. And that's hard because you're all over the place. But as you grow in him, you realize, even though it may seem that way, there is an exhortation always. And there's always a comfort knowing that God's in control and there's always hope in him. Now again, that word reprove, it means to expose. It means to admonish a person, convict a person, convince a person, uh, tell them their fault. I don't think there's anyone here who wants to run out and tell somebody. And generally what I do is, is I, I pray. If I see someone struggling with something, God, prepare my heart. Let me know it's you that you want me to say it and when you want me to say it. In the sense, it's like looking at Matthew chapter 7 where you take the log out of your eye or the beam out of your eye before you take the speck out of someone else's eye. The first thing we have to do is make sure our hearts are right with God and we will go to them in gentleness, in reverence, and speak to them. But simply when the word is being taught, exposes, you don't have to point a finger at them. You don't have to say, oh, does that sound like you, doesn't it? No. You let the Holy Spirit minister to them. There are rare times when, when we have to be strong, but may it be God that's strong and not you. His Spirit boldly speaking through you, but yet they'll still know it's in love. They know that you really care about them. It really carries the idea of just bringing to light, exposing really the sin. That's what the Word of God does. It reveals the sin and shows us how our sins can be washed as white as a coconut. We were talking about that the other day. Some people, you know, the translation says it's white as a coconut, and people are condemning it. White as snow it is. Yeah, well, I know, but they've never seen snow, so a coconut works. You, you sometimes have to modify and, and say, well, you know, I'm going to make it in your understanding. The Word says snow. In that area, they knew it. Don't be a legalist. Let the Spirit of God move in you and work through you. It, it, it's so important, and Jesus said in John 3, 19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. Well, I think that's every one of us at one point. Don't be angry at the people out there. Love the people, hate the sin. There go I, but for the grace of God. Don't see yourself any better. Just see that you're so concerned about them that you want to bring them the truth that set them free. Now, if a pastor's faithful in his preaching, he will shine the light of God's word upon the wickedness of men. But he's not making the message just for them. It just comes out of the text. The Holy Spirit gives you the word. The Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity. I love what John Corson said years ago, and he says, you know, you want to know what's going on in my life? Let me tell you what I'm reading in the Bible right now. Because wherever you're at in the Bible, in your daily reading, you're either going through it, just went through it, about to go through it, or maybe one of your friends or a neighbor. And God will use that if you allow him to use you for his glory. It's a choice that you make. So the word is confrontational. I'm not going to ask, does anyone like confrontation? Because I don't want to know that. But it's certainly not natural for us. Only when somebody is really nasty to you. But notice what, again, the idea is here that we're, there's a time to rebuke people. When they've been warned, their sin has been illuminated, pointed out, and they just refuse to listen, there's a time that you just have to say, you can't do this anymore. 
Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If they're a believer, if they know that word, and they're just continuing in that sin. It says, again, if those who practice such things, they will not enter the kingdom of God. That's something you're going to have to decide. Are you a believer or not a believer? Sometimes there is a rebuke. But if you love them, you can go to them. Sometimes you can just say, let's open the Word of God together and let's just look at what it says. What book do you want to start? And I'll guarantee that wherever you go, you're going to have to deal with that in the Scripture. And the Holy Spirit takes that Word and works in that person and He works in you. It's so much better to let the Holy Spirit work instead of you and me. Sin is brought out by the light, the light of God's Word. It means that a pastor, those that are proclaiming it, those that are going to making disciples, is we must take it very seriously, the Word of God. But be careful. Don't think that you're better than someone else that doesn't study the Word. Don't think you're the only right one, because you're not the only right one. And there's no one here today that is in perfect balance. And I'm not just talking about just walking or skateboarding. I'm just saying in perfect balance with the Lord. Because we're growing in Him. And He's dealing with this. And He'll put us in situations to reveal things that have not been dealt with in your heart yet. And He wants to set you free of those things. The preacher has a responsibility and he must take it seriously. You and I have to. And when we look to the Bible, we have... Certainly Noah, a preacher of righteousness before the world was destroyed with a flood. You have Moses. You have Elijah. You have Jonah. You have, again, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Not one convert. But he continued to bring the truth. Did not compromise. Hosea, Certainly Jesus. The one that gets me the most about Jesus is in John chapter 8 when the woman is caught in the midst of adultery, if you remember, entrapment. And I like his words, go and sin no more. We're to acknowledge the sin but not condemn. They need to see Jesus. And Paul certainly Isaiah 58, 1 says this, Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. You know, so often, it depends on the context, when, when God's talking about Israel, Israel meaning governed by God, that's what they're supposed to be doing, is governed by God, led by Him, under a theocracy. But sometimes He refers to Him as Jacob. Jacob the heel catcher. Sometimes the nation of Israel acted like Jacob. Sometimes that could be true of you and me. But God, we put ourselves back in the Word, we confess, we repent. He washes us as white as a coconut. No matter what else his preaching does, if it does not confront people in their sin, it's not biblical preaching. A lot of people springboard out of the Word and they go someplace else. They're not teaching what the text says. They teach about the Bible, not the Bible. Because when you're teaching the Bible, you're really teaching about the nature and character of who God is. And so often people, they can't describe God. Well, have you been reading the Bible? No. In the Old Testament, they say, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I love the God of the Old Testament because He's the same God. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's patient. He's long-suffering with Israel. But there's a point that judgment has to come. And He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Well, many Christians have fallen away because of the way people have acted, reproved and rebuked them. And, you know, it's like hell and brimstone. Be gentle and tender, and just open the Word. 
the word will do it. In verse 2, we also see again that preaching is, is to be compassionate. We're to preach with all great patience. Let's honestly struggle with patience. I'm more patient than ever before, but you need to be patient. People don't always change as fast as you want them to. If you're so busy focused upon others, you're not really dealing or letting God deal with you. That patience speaks of your contentment with God, your relationship, that you're meeting with him, you know him, and and you know that he is working in you. He's changing you. So the the minister, it, it means again that he's to be patiently, again, correcting. Minister is to endure and is exhorting even when people don't respond when you want. He's to exhort and exhort and encourage and encourage. He suffers long, long time with people. You you may go through things with people for a long time and then one day they, they just wake up. It's like God just opened their heart. They came to the end of themselves. They finally surrendered that next piece because they were stubborn. And imagine all of us They're stubborn in some way. Psalm 86.15 says this, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abundant abundant in loving kindness and truth. Aren't you thankful for that? That's so encouraging. Because sometimes in my life, I felt like a failure. I haven't been everything that God wanted me to be. God knows. And we have to be careful because we are his workmanship. And he will finish the work. And he uses everything for his glory. When believers are patient, we exhibit the Spirit of God, and that's so important. We don't retaliate when things go differently or not the way we we think. We just trust the Lord. Preaching is to be confirmed, confirmed by the Bible. It's a, we have the command to preach, and we do it with great patience, and, and we do it in a doctrine. Again, look with me in verse 3. For the time will come when they not endure sound doctrine. Now, that idea of sound doctrine, it means healthy. These are healthy words for you and me. If you want to be sound, you want to be complete in Christ Jesus, you need to hear the word of God because it hones us, it cleanses us. It, we, we stand upon it. We find strength. It, it, it brings conviction in our life. And it's gentle and it's tender and it's so important. And there's only one place that you're ever going to get the, the doctrine, the true doctrine. Of the word. It is in the Bible. Don't go read a doctrine book and determine what the doctrine is supposed to be. Read the Bible and as you're reading and you come to know who God is, that's going to tell you. That's going to make you a, a theologian. Learn what the Bible says because oftentimes theology books, they come in different camps. What do you want to believe? Oh, I believe this. Then you want these theology books. Or you want these theology books. But what does the Bible say? Now, anything you read, you read in light of that scripture, and it's important to understand. So people need to hear the word of God. The scriptures must come first, not something from some outline, some books, some psychology, man's wisdom. Only from God's living word. That's what people need to hear. We used to sing this song. I'm not going to sing it. You know how I sing. Psalm 119.9 says this. How can a man keep his way pure? By keeping according to your word. Powerful song when I first got saved in the church. And it was a guy that was a, a Jewish guy. And he'd do it with a, you know, a little different style. You just learn to remember that that scripture is so important. Titus 2.1, when we get there, you'll see it again, but as, as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. See, God's word is, he emphasized, it's important. Therefore, it should be important to us. Note the truth, though, in John 12.48, he who rejects me does not receive my sayings and has one who judges him. The word that I spoke is what will judge him at that last day. The word of God will judge you. Everyone will be without excuse because here it's clear. This is, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. This is how to get right and this is how to stay right. That's what we looked at last week. 
He's given you everything you need for godliness. Well, look at verse 3 again. They, they resist the truth for a time will come when they will not endure. They won't put up. They won't accept it. They won't tolerate it. That's what's happening in the church today. They're, they're drifting from sound doctrine. Second Corinthians 11.4 says this, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you will receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear it beautifully. In Galatians, again, look with me, Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which really isn't not another. It's, it's only some are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So apostasy has always been there, but it's in a rapid thing, a rapid, faster and faster. They're drifting away. And it's important that we know what the Word of God says, that we're Bereans. He says there's a, a time will come in verse 3. Now he's saying there, again, it's a change. Once enduring, it's like a person comes in the church, they hear the right doctrine, but, but they begin to change, they begin to drift. It's, it's like tying a boat onto the dock, and all of a sudden it's loosed, and it begins to drift away slowly. Every church has those that come in are excited about Jesus. They start in the front, work their way to the back, and eventually out the door. And there was somebody here Saturday, yesterday asking about a certain person, and he's not in church anymore. It's sad. See, if you continue in my word, you're truly my disciples, Jesus says. You'll stay in the word. There are people like Matthew 13, 5 and 6 says, others fell upon rocky ground. He's talking about the sower and the seed where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up because there was no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered. These are men and women, their hearts are rocky. They're only going to allow so much to come up and then when things are difficult, they, they just flee, they run, they make excuses. Sometimes it reveals they're really not true believers. Sometimes they're believers that just have fallen in a rut. They need the love and grace of Jesus Christ. First Peter 1.23 says this, For you have been born again, not by the seed which is perishable, but the imperishable, that is the living, enduring word of God. Look again, verse 3, we see they place, or has, uh, they replace the truth. Notice that it, it says, about these worldly, carnal people, unbelievers. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to all their own desires. It's time for me to mention something, and I'll try and wind this down real quick. There's a Bible that's growing in popularity in some places. It's called the Passion Bible. How many have heard of it? Anyone? Yeah, you heard it probably. Me. Oh, you may have heard Yeah. The Passion Bible has been likened by many people that I respect to the New World Translation. It's likened to the Jehovah Witness Bible. They have someone who, again, is not a Greek scholar, doesn't understand, is a one-man translation because he's come to the Bible with his own doctrinal beliefs and he's interpreted in light of that and it's very emotional and very free. Now, what is it like the New World? How does it compare? is, again, he states doctrines that are in the Bible. That's teaching is all that means. But no doctrinal support. He takes an obscure verse and changes it to mean something it doesn't and says, this is what it means. I've met several friends that are following after things like that. That's why you need to be in the Word. You'll recognize when something said, that's not what it says. My wife doesn't like to watch Christian uh, shows with me if they're going to the Bible, and I go, that's not what the Bible says. Just just be quiet. Let's watch the movie. No, that's not what the Bible says. She says, you need to go in the other room. You know, you'll recognize it. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's so important. Again, today we hear more church services that are designed really to please sinners rather than a Savior. 
I hope you're coming to worship God, to hear His Word, because you love Him and you want to honor Him. It's the only reason you should be here, not for dancing bears. Matthew 5, 13 and 14 says this, You are the salt unto the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except for it to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The church that is in the Word of God, and the Word of God is in us, will be a light to our community. In the days that come, people will see it. They'll see the change and transformation in your life. They're not going to hear it yelling and screaming and condemning and judging. There'll be people that come in that are sinners sitting here, and yes, they'll have sin. Praise God. Because if they hear the Word of God, then they stay. They will be born again. And that's exciting when you think of it. Look again, Isaiah 30, verse 9 and 10, for this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions to the And to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us uh, pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Many are seeking after signs and wonders and not after Jesus. After his word, the words of life. Verse 4, and they will turn away their ears from the truth. Basically, they resist the truth. They reject the truth. They'll not endure it, and they refuse to hear it. Proverbs 2.2 says this, Make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Please don't say, I can't understand. Focus upon God and say, God, I need you to open the eyes of my heart. Remove anything that's hindering me from hearing you. It goes on again, and they will turn aside to myths, mutos. Speak of fables. It's where we get our word mythology from. He's contrasting it to the truth. It's just the opposite. Last year in the fall, I heard all kinds of craziness around the feast. They can't come up with that, the Scripture, unless they read something in it's not there. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And our final verse is really, there's a call to soberness. Well, what do you mean? But you be sober in all things. Sober is kind of just, you know, be under control. Don't worry what's going on. Just focus upon your walk, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Likewise, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, the word admission to spiritual soundness of mind, it it means in NIV translation, and keeping your mind, keeping it clear. That's our responsibility. That means we have to sometimes remove ourselves from some things in this world that would hinder that relationship. In Acts 20, verse 28 and 29, Paul's telling them, be on guard for yourselves. And for the flock among the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. I know that my departure savage wolves will come in among them and not sparing the flock. I don't mention teachers much. There's a teacher in Volcano, Rodney Howard Brown. Anyone know who he is? He's the one that started the whole thing of laughing in the Spirit. We don't need the Word of God. We don't need prayer. We need to laugh today. And everybody rolls on the floor. And You remember where they went into the, a barking in the Spirit and somewhere putting like glitter coming down like gold dust. And they're chasing after signs and wonders. Go there. You've been warned. The time that we're in, it's dark, and it's getting worse, and it's going to, there's going to be a point where it just it's like almost overnight, it's just one of those nights that is so black, 
You can't see here, you know, sometimes. Spiritually, it's going to be that way. Again, in verse 5, it says, again, to endure the hardship. Bear the hardship patiently. We're going to talk about that next week a little bit, but he's, he's warning them what's ahead. Do the work of evangelists. I'm not evangelist. Now, speaking to a pastor, I, I, I think I'm a teacher more. Just as Timothy wasn't evangelist, he was given that charge. So we are to, to seize those opportunities, look for those opportunities, pray for those opportunities, and all of us are called to do the work of evangelists. In fact, Proverbs, I like what it says in chapter 11, verse 30, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. If you're wise, you're going to share your faith. Matthew 28, 19, it's already been mentioned. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Timothy, paraphrasing it this way a little bit, you do these things, you'll be faithful in the ministry. We're going to talk about Paul's faithfulness next week. What we saw is really the charge given, the purpose of the charge, the importance of the charge, the reason for the charge, and the responsibility. We need to preach the Word of God, not a bunch of opinions. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank You for Your timeless Word. Your Word that is sound. Your Word that makes us whole and makes us complete. We desire that the Word that we hear will become flesh in us. That it would change us. It would transform us. That's our desire. But we know, Lord, You've got to do that work. We know there's Your part and our part. Our part is simply say, have your way in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.